Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you can stand on your feet, we appreciate it. If you, can, if you can't, you're going to stay seated. That's okay. The same way. We just ask that you get into the word with us. Matthew chapter 4. When we're on the same page, can I get a shout of amen? amen? Amen. Before we read the word, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for all things, Lord. I thank you for the highs and the lows. I thank you for the ups and the downs. I thank you for the good days and the bad days. Lord, I thank you for the sunshine, and I thank you for the rain. I thank you for the going in and the going out. I thank you for the people you bring in my life and the people that you take out of my life, Lord, because I have realized that in all things, you are good, Lord Jesus. You are still God and you are still in control. And I'd rather you be in control, Lord Jesus, than me and my will because my will is not good, Lord, but your will is perfect, Father God. And even in the things that I don't understand, God, you are working for the good of your people, for my good, even when I don't understand. Lord, I pray that in this service right now, your spirit start moving and you bless the heart of the, the hearer, Lord, that they may receive, Lord, this fruit, Lord, this seed and may bear fruit in their lives. Lord, I thank you for every person in here that is a part of your plan to receive this message. For all the churches that are praising your name and bringing messages to the people, Lord, that are working for your kingdom, Lord, we give you glory and give you honor, Lord. May they not see the man, but may they see the word that you have brought today in your holy name i thank you may it be your power your glory your anointing your truth and your holy name amen thank you jesus matthew chapter 4 amen we're gonna go to verse 12 and in my in my bible it gives me a title it says jesus begins his galilean ministry if you look in early chapter 4 that's where jesus was tempted in the desert Hallelujah. Right before he started his ministry, but we're going to start on verse 12, 412. And it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and, he, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. You may be seated, but look to the person next to you and say, remember the kingdom. Remember the kingdom. Hallelujah. We see that Jesus lived on this earth, for those who know, a total of 33 years, of which he only had three years of ministry. After Jesus, before Jesus began his ministry, he went to John the Baptist to get baptized. After getting baptized, he goes, the Bible says, straight into the desert, and he's being tempted by Satan in which he conquered over the temptations of Satan by using the word of God. But right after that, he begins his ministry. And the first words that go in red as he begins his ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember the kingdom. This word remember to me is such a strong word. And I think it's such an active word in all our lives 
Because as we get older, there's so many things we tend to forget. Right? Try to remember when you were five, when you were six, when you were seven, ten. We got such a good computer up here, but it doesn't work that well. Uh, Do you remember what you ate for breakfast this morning? What you had for dinner yesterday? Our memory is not all that great. The things we tend to remember are the things to which we give priority. The things that we say matter in our lives are the things that which we remember. Some of us parents, we sometimes even forget our kids' names. And if you have a household full, everybody's everybody's name. In my house, we got a mix-up, right? It's just uh, uh, Nani, Emmy, Nate, Daddy, somebody, come help. You just, everybody's name's called before you get to the you. Just, just get over here, you. And that's a name. We say their names every day. And even though we still, we still struggle with remembering. But the things to which we give priority are the things that we remember. Remember the kingdom. And I want the message to be relayed before we get into that. The point of this message and the reason God put it in my heart to bring to you today. Because how often do we put the kingdom last in our lives? You know, um, I was born in Spain, military brat, but I was, I was raised here in the United States. So my culture, my identity is based a lot on here. But for those who are maybe... Um, uh, foreigners, right, where they come from another country, where their culture, as anybody here was born in another country, grew up in another country? Anybody? Anybody? Right? Yeah, grew up somewhere else, right? My family's from Puerto Rico. My dad grew up in Puerto Rico, and around 20, he joined the military and came, you know, started traveling. But for those who are from another country, or even from another state, you have, you've grown up with this culture around you, and when you travel and you go far from it, after time, you start you start forgetting your culture and where you're from. Even though you have good memories and some things are hard to shake, you might still have an accent, but you might not be acting or eating or seeing the things that you saw when you were, from that, when you were there in that country or that state. It doesn't take long before you, you grew up in the cold and you got used to it, but you moved to Florida and now it's only, you know, 60 degrees and you're like, it's freezing. But every day you travel to school in snow. How easy we forget where we're from. How we grew up. How easy the culture around us starts changing us. It doesn't take much. You can be around two or three people for a year or two and you start just adapting and changing. But this is not something that we can do when we say we belong to the kingdom. We got to always remember where we're from. Remember what we were taught in the kingdom of which we belong to. Because if you were taught up in your house and you had manners in mama's house, doesn't mean that now when you move on on your own, you, you can forget everything that was implanted in you. You have to remember the good things that mom and dad taught you. Can't put your feet on the, up on the table like that. What are you doing? I didn't raise you that way, but how easily we forget. But we can't afford to forget the kingdom. We live here. 
We are on this earth, but we are not of this earth. I got to remember where I'm from. I can't just forget my people in Puerto Rico. I can't forget their culture and the good things that I've learned, the love that all of them have given me. I have to live as if they're with me, even though they're not. I have to live with the teachings my mother gave me, even though she's not with me 24-7. My father, my grandmother, the good things that they have taught me. But when they're not around, out of sight, out of mind. Who likes to clean that way? It's not really clean. You just can't see that it's dirty. So for you, it's clean. If I just, you, all the kids are not here, but that's how they clean. Right? All the toys are in the closet, but they're not organized. They're just in the closet. Mom, the house is clean. My room's clean. But you peek under the bed and it's just a mess. Old sandwiches, you know, spilled milk with the toys. That's not clean. Out of sight of mind, we figure that if we don't see it, we don't got to worry about it. Right? It's not my, I'm gone from work. I don't got to see work. I don't got to deal with work. But we can't have that approach when we're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is something that we don't see right now. But it is still very active and real and in power right now. When Jesus came and he proclaimed, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not that it will be. No, it is going on right now. Right now it is started. He came to proclaim as an ambassador to a kingdom that is far away. He came and say, it is coming. It is here with me. I'm starting and I'm announcing to let you know that the kingdom of heaven exists. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are used interchangeably, but it's the same thing. What is the kingdom of heaven like? And I'm not going to use my words. We're going to use God, Jesus' words, written in red, to let you know what the kingdom of God is like. Luke 13, 18 to 21. He compares it. He says, then he said, being Jesus, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and it became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened or leavened. Right. It, what he's saying, what is the secret here in this parallel, parable, in this analogy that he's comparing it to? The kingdom of heaven is like something that you can't see. It's so small, but it is present. But in time that will come, it is growing and growing and growing till it is a large tree which you can't miss. You ever seen a large tree? That the minute you stand at the trunk of the tree and you look up, you're just lost. You're like, wow. They came from such a small seed to the point that you can, if you stepped on that ground, when that seed was in the ground, you had no idea that seed was there unless you planted it. You would have stomped, danced, jumped, and you would have had no notice of that seed. But then you come again in 50 years and that seed is now this full grown tree that you can't miss. The kingdom of heaven is such that right now we are, we are in it. We are over it. We are dancing and we are rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven right now. We can't see it. But there will be a day that nobody is going to be able to miss the fact that the kingdom of heaven is present here on earth. The thousand rule of years of Jesus on earth. 
that Jesus is real, that him being the king is going to be something you will see. So, yes, we can't see it, but it's not out of sight, out of mind. It is very present and in power. We go to Matthew, hallelujah. 1344 to 46, again, Jesus compares. And these are just some of the many times that Jesus tries to bring us similes and metaphors to explain the kingdom of heaven. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, what is the secret that he's revealing here? The kingdom of heaven is something that it is small, but it's rare. Not all of us are going to find the kingdom of heaven. And this time that we can't see it, not all of us are going to be revealed the secret of the kingdom of heaven. But for those who find that secret, it is like a pearl. If If you're a merchant, You're seeking for things of great value. And it's telling us here that this merchant finds one pearl at a store. And he says, that is the most beautiful pearl I ever had. I need that pearl. I want that pearl. And to buy it, he had to go sell all the other pearls he had and all the other gems he had to get that one pearl. Because it has so much value to him. Where are the husbands at? Raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. There you go. Husbands, where you at? There's only three husbands in the house. There you you go. Raise it up high. I'm about to let you shine right now. This is your time. It's like that husband who saw that woman for the first time and and the Bible says he found a good thing. There were many other ones he could have chose, but he he found that one. And he spent every waking hour making phone calls, investing, showing up at her job, knocking on the car, where are you going? I'm with you. And he gave everything, everything that was his to her and says, we are one. Yeah, you can look at your husband and say, yeah, you did that. It's okay. Let him, let him. Let him know he did that. But when you find something, when you find someone that you, you, can, you give it a great value, because there are those who are not merchants, that will see the pearl and say it's just another pearl. If you don't have an eye for pearls and you don't know the pearl business, that is just another rock that shines. But the merchant comes along and says, this is the most valuable pearl you could ever see. So he gives everything for, for that. Hmm. Wife to many, you were just another woman of the bunch. Until your husband put his eyes on you. He says there's something special in you. You are not like all of them. That's what God does with us. When he chooses us and opens up our eyes and says there's something special in you. You are beloved. But do we do the same when we come across the kingdom? It's just another church. It's just another preaching. It's just another religious leader, Jesus. It's just another cult. What worth do you give it? What name, what title do you give it? Or do you say, you know what, this is everything. This secret that has been revealed to me, to my heart, of the kingdom of heaven, of God, of Jesus dying for me on the cross. This is everything. This is my ticket away from the pain, from the suffering, to meet my maker, to have eternal life, to really have peace. This is everything to me. 
But if that's true, what are you giving to get it? I'm not saying it's about works. But there are things that you have to give up to give this one thing more attention. You can't just put it in the lineup of things that you do like it belongs to everything else. It's just another hobby. You know, basketball, church, work, school. It's just another thing I do. You just put it in a box with all the other pearls. It's just another thing I own. It is the best thing. So it can't stand in that crowd. It has to stand apart. And to stand apart, you have to give it more attention. My wife loves attention. I don't know about your wife. I'm not going to throw y'all under the bus. I'll throw myself under the bus. She loves attention. And when she feels like she's not getting it, hey, honey, what are you doing? It's me time. Come spend time with me. She needs my attention. And I can't treat her like I treat all my friends that I call once a week. I can't treat her like it's just another thing that I can just sit next to and just not really look at. I have to tell her she's beautiful. I have to buy her flowers. I have to show her that she means more to me than anything else in my life. But why is God just another thing in your routine? Why is the kingdom of heaven just something else you just put in your little heart and you just, it's there? Why don't you give it more attention? And remember where you're from. Remember the kingdom implanted in your heart. Remember the love and the joy that you find, you found for the first time when you came to Jesus. What value do you give? The kingdom of heaven in your life. What priorities do you put the rules, the laws that the kingdom of heaven teaches us? Because everywhere we go, that should be something that's right there in the forefront. I don't, I, the nations can do whatever they want. The laws can change. They can tell you to jump how many times. But like the, the men in, in uh, um, the kingdom of Babylon, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were there. The influence was great. The statue was great. There was gold everywhere. The music was the best worship you can have at the time. And everybody was dancing because this was on point. But they remembered the kingdom of God was in them. We belong to someone else. We can't jump and dance to your flute and your harp and to your gold. Because in my heart there is a kingdom that says I need to worship one God. So it doesn't matter where you are placed. You can be surrounded by such a darkness, but if the kingdom of God, the light that shines, it has to be in you, and you remember where you're from. Imagine if they forgot that moment, they wouldn't be written in the good book. And if in that moment they said, you know what, let's do it as the Romans do. We're here, why not? Everybody else is dancing. Now we don't, we're not home anymore. We got brought as captives into this country. We might as well just do what they do. But they didn't forget the kingdom in them. Say, no, we belong to one God and one God alone. Amen. Let's go to John 18. John 18. We're going to see how Jesus explains the kingdom to Pontius Pilate. This is, we, we, we talked about the beginning of God's ministry, Jesus' ministry, as he started proclaiming the kingdom, but now we're coming towards the end. Now he's in the hands of the Romans, 
And this is right before the Jews say crucify him. He has walked the walk and now he's getting to the end of his ministry. And I want you guys to look how he speaks of the kingdom towards the end of his ministry right before being crucified. John 18, to 37, it says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? So even in this moment, Jesus is concerned about the man that's standing in front of him. He's trying to get deeper. Are you, do you want to know? Or are they talking to you about me? Because if you want to know, I'm going to answer this to you right now. Pilate says, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Hallelujah. When I was reading this, I can just visualize in my head. This is just me wanting to see the movie. I can just visualize legions of angels in heaven just waiting, just waiting. God, tell me to go down there and save Jesus. Please let me go. Let me go save Jesus. He needs us. Look what they're about to do to him. And they're just waiting, ready to go. You ever had somebody ready to fight for you? My wife craves attention, but she's always ready to fight for me. She sees people offending me where I don't even see them offending me. Did you see how he talked to you? She ready to go, baby, calm down. That didn't even bother me. I got to hold her back. Can you imagine the kingdom of heaven in that moment? Tears running down the angel's eyes because they knew that he was about to suffer the cross, ready to go save him, ready to cross through the heavens, swords at hand to cut down anybody that was about to hurt their king. But Jesus just looks up. Hey, chill out, guys. It's okay. Your king's got this. I'll be right back. It is okay. They can't hurt me. And they step back, but they're just ready to fly down. 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Because Jesus didn't answer him directly and said, I am a king. But he starts talking about my kingdom. So by him saying my kingdom, he's saying he's a king. So Pilate's reading, trying to read between the lines. And he says, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered him. All right. I'm not beating around the bush. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. These words is the reason he got crucified. It's not everything that he did, but they came and brought Jesus saying, this man is saying that he's king. And Pilate wanted to know if this was true. That's why he's asking him this question. Because this would be a problem if he's proclaiming himself to be king when there's already a king over Israel. So he starts trying to feel out uh, Pilate, and Pilate's trying to feel him out. Are you a king? Well, my kingdom is not of this world. Are you saying you're a king? Uh, Jesus is like, all right, I'm, I'm a king. Right? I'm a king. That's why I came to this earth. Right? So now he sees what they're talking about. But even then, Pilate's like, you know what? I... There's still not a reason for me to want to kill this man, right? And he brings him out, and then he says the wrong thing to the crowd. Here is the king of Jews, your king. And everybody, no, that's not our king. And it was part of Passover that they delivered one of the men who were um, about to be in prison or put to death. 
So they put Barabbas and they put Jesus. Here's your king and here's Barabbas. This man who's just proclaiming to, king, to be king, at best he's just crazy, guys. It's all right. He's just saying he's a king. We know who your king is. Chill out. Why are you so mad? But this guy's a robber and a thief and a killer. You know, who do you want to set free? For Pilate, I think he thought, easy answer, let Jesus go. You know, it's just a crazy man. Let him do his thing. Right? He says he's king. It's okay. He don't got no army. We're all right. This guy needs to go to jail. So he puts him up thinking it's an easy answer. But Satan was working in the crowd. Crucify him. That's not our king. That's after he already had been beaten and put the crown over his head. Hmm. So what they thought was a lie, a lunatic's words, they were dressing him and who he was. But he didn't get a crown of gold and diamonds. He got one of thorns. That's the reason he came. Today we celebrate Independence Day. Right, the, the day that the papers were signed that, you know, the United States became a nation of its own, apart from the motherland. But on that cross is where we celebrate our independence. Because I belong to the world. It had put his name, his mark on me. Sin, born in sin and iniquity. But it was on that cross that by his blood, the contract was signed so I can be made free and independent from this nation, from this world. Hallelujah. And it's not like the way that they thought in that time. Because they thought it was going to be something physical. I'm not talking against you, not, nothing against the United Nations or our country. I love our country. This is where we're from. And thank you for every man and woman that served the military for our freedom. Amen. Can we give an applause to them? Yes. I'm not, so I don't want it to be mixed up that I'm speaking against our nation. I am not. I'm talking about something spiritual. The same way Jesus came to proclaim his kingdom, it wasn't something to dethrone the Romans and the kingdoms of that time. He's trying to establish something that comes beyond time, something beyond what we can see. So when we say we're independent, when we're saying we belong to a different kingdom, it's not that we won't submit to the speed limit. We're not going to go down the highway going 100. I'm not of this kingdom. Going 100 miles an hour. Throw trash out the window. I don't belong here. What do I care about the earth? No. That's not what I'm saying. We still submit to the laws and rules where we be, we're here from. Even Jesus submitted to the ways, their laws. The minute they said crucify him, he didn't fight it. This is how you guys do court. Let it be so. So we submit to how court is done here on earth. But we know that at the end of it all, we're going home. We belong to something greater than all of this. But it has to be in our hearts. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross. That was my independence day. That was the day I was made free. That was the day I could rejoice that I was made free. Hallelujah. So now we enter into who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Hallelujah. John 3, 3 to 8. Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee a religious man who knew the word. And Jesus sits down. It was, um, at a, uh, it was late at night or early in the morning at a time where people weren't out and had this conversation with this Pharisee because if people saw him talking to Jesus, there were going to be problems. So Jesus sits down and says, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You have to relinquish your rights as, as, as a, a fleshly being and accept Jesus Christ into your heart. It is something spiritual. You accept his spirit in you and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. In that same chapter, we get John three sixteen, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To be born again is to make this proclamation and believe in Jesus. It is a spirit birth. That happens when you relinquish who you are in the flesh and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because I was born in Spain, I've always been told, but I never looked into it, that because I was born in Spain, I can relinquish my rights as a U.S. citizen and choose to be a citizen of Spain because I was born over there. But I have to give up the one of them to get the other one, right? We have to make that, that proclamation, that decision when we come to Jesus, we can't just say, I belong to this world, but I believe in you. You have to give up and repent of all your sins, of all that you've done wrong that the word shows you, of all the things you know you've hurt other people. Ask for forgiveness. Repent of all that. Turn around and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you will be born again. Amen. The, the baptism, water baptism is a symbolism of that. Of dying to the old man and coming up in the new. Amen. It is important that you do it and that you bear that ceremony with witnesses. It's the reason why we have wedding ceremonies. Because I can say I married my wife. Nobody was there. Nobody knows. So when I want to leave her, she can't say, you're my husband. No, I'm not, girl. Ain't nobody seen you. (laughs) No. Try again. No, but you have a ring. No, I don't. That's why you have witnesses. That's why papers are signed. Because if she said, no, you my husband, get over here. That house is mine too. Everybody, I was there. He ain't going nowhere. I saw it. He said I do too. He said it. So when we baptize and there are witnesses, there are people there witnessing to your decision that you made. You can't just go back to the world and start doing everything you used to do and sinning again like you weren't marked. Somebody that was there, I saw you last week. You made a decision. You decided to be baptized and be new. What are you doing? No, I didn't. Yes, I was there. You got a certificate of baptism. Don't hide it now. That's why it's important to do it. Amen. But we have to be born again in the spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 1 through 5 says, and this is another secret. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The secret in these verses is not in convert and become as little children. He's not telling you to start wearing a diaper, to start sucking on your thumb, to start playing with toys and watching cartoons. That's not what he's telling you, to not clean up your room and to just keep a mess like little kids do. No, he's telling you to be humble. 
to understand a child when he enters the room, he looks around and sees everybody bigger than him. Says that he, that he needs help. My daughter can't just go to the bathroom. She's got to get help from an adult. She knows that in here, there are adults that she has to ask questions to and needs help from. That she just, she's, not a, she does, she's not an owner of herself. When she t- becomes 13, then the case is going to be a little different because she's going to argue her side of the argument. You don't run me no more. You know, I can do what I want. But in the childhood stage, she still understands that she still needs daddy to help her go to the bathroom, cook for her, take her to school, pick her up, right? So it was Jesus telling you, you need to humble yourself and not worry about being the greatest, but understand that in the kingdom, you are the least. You are the smallest, but you are still beloved. You are still important. It is about humility. God does not need any more prideful people in heaven. We saw what happened to the first one. God does not need any more people in heaven who think they're no more than him. He doesn't want that headache. Who likes to work with people like that? You like to work with people like that? You're trying to get a job done. They tell you, you're the manager. You're the leader. I need you to lead this team. And everybody on the team is trying to tell you how to do your job. People, people do that at my job. I just stepped into a manager role, and people love to tell me how to do my job. It's not time to do this. You want my tie? You can, you can have the tie in the suit. Tell me, you can do my job. I'll sit down where you're sitting down. Right? I got the responsibility. I got to do what I was told to do. God doesn't need no more people telling him, this is how we should worship you in heaven. This is how it's done in the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of Nate. But people still try. It, you have to be humble to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to go in there expecting to, to, to mop and sweep the floors. I say that all the time. I don't deserve a mansion. People always talk about the pearly gates and the gold streets and the mansions they're going to live in. I don't, you know, I, God, I, it's, if I could be a bum in the kingdom of heaven, that's okay. That is okay. If I'm a homeless man on the side of the street, and I'm sorry if the word bum offended anybody, sorry. That's just the way it came out. But if I'm a homeless man in the kingdom, of, that's all right. I made it. That's okay. They can even put my little cot right there by the gates just in case they want to kick me out. But I, I'm, I'm inside. They can talk about their mansions and all the crazy things and the 10 virgins and the 70 virgins that all the religions preach that are going to be in hell. I don't want none of that. Okay. Let me be a street sweeper but I made it to the kingdom of heaven. That's the mentality we need to have. Not saying, oh, Lord, I just want my bed right by you, Jesus. Make sure my mansion in my room is next door to yours. I deserve that. I want that room right there. And that a butler serves me every day. Yes. No, we got to go into the kingdom of heaven ready to serve. I'm here. Let's work, God. I'm here to praise you, God. It's not about me, God. Hallelujah. Luke 13, 29 and 30 shows us that Those who will enter the kingdom of heaven will be coming from, and it says, they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of heaven. And indeed, there are the last who will be first, and the first who will be last. He's talking in this verse, in this chapter, he's talking about the narrow way. Those who will enter the kingdom of heaven are are those who choose to walk the narrow path. If If you're walking in your path in this world, and you are crowded by a lot of people, the chances are you are not walking the narrow way. If there is a lot of people going the direction that you're going on this world, in this earth, you're all going the same way, chances are you are not walking in God's path. If everybody loves everything you do all the time, you are not walking down the right path. 
Because this one's one of the narrow way. It's one where you got to say, excuse me, I'm trying to get by. Well, you might step on some people's toes like you're at the movies trying to get to your chair because it is narrow and not everybody's going to walk this walk. So if you're on the narrow path where you feel like you're rubbing shoulders sometimes, but you know your destiny and that Jesus is ahead of you, the chances are you're more likely on that path, the right path, than on the one where you have a big cozy seat. But this is not exclusive to a, a people group or a nation. You can be from any land, but you can enter the kingdom of heaven. God called people to a wedding feast for his son. He called them out, his own people, show up to the wedding. And nobody wanted to show up. So Jesus sent his, God sent his servants to go out and talk and announce and say, the wedding is here. Whoever wants to come, let him in. That's us. We weren't a part of the plan at the beginning, but because they don't want to see Jesus for who he is, we're showing up to the wedding. We're going to be there. doesn't matter where we're from. We're not from uh, Israel. We're not from that land. But because of what Jesus did and because God opened up that door, say, because y'all don't want to see that Jesus is the son of God. And I gave him to you exclusively at first. Now I'm making him accessible to all man. So every single one of us, wherever we're from, whatever we look like, or whatever language we speak, we're going to come to this wedding feast. And it doesn't matter if you're last or you're first, you're going to have your way in. There will be those who were up front first. They're going to end up last, but they made it. And there are going to be those that you thought were going to be last, but they're up lying in the first. You're going to be there in that line, you're going to be mad. He showed up to church every other Sunday. Can you believe that he's at the pearly gates already? Why did Jesus not let me be in the front? You know, my last name starts with an A. I should be up there. Alphabetical order. Thank you. Her name starts with a Z. But that's not how it's going to work in the kingdom. There are people that you're not even going to suspect to be there. That because by your standards of living, they don't deserve to be in the front of the line. But they're going to be up there. And Jesus is going to be excited to have them. The same way he's going to be excited to have you. It's okay. It's okay. Relax. You're going to have your chance to get in. There's plenty of rooms for all of us. But that's the mentality we need to have here. It's not about who's first or who's last. We're all going to the same place. Right? Right. Even if you're the one working up here and you're preaching and you're singing and it's okay if you're not the first one in line. God, I did more work than everybody else. In it's not about that. It's not about that. God said you were good. You and me were good, but I needed them to get there first. Hurry, because if, if they didn't get there first, they might have been lost. I wanted him to get in. I loved him. I needed him. We, you and me were good. Who does that when, they, when they're in a hurry? See, I'm backwards, and I think people look at me like I'm backwards. Because you can be in a rush, and I, I should be getting in the line to the bank first because they close at 4.30, and I rush, and I sped in my car. But once I get there, and I open the door, and I see somebody coming behind me, it's hard for me to be like, nope, and just get in and close the door behind me. <laughs> I'm going to be next. It's, it's hard. I, I have a hard time doing that. I don't know what it is. I, I got to hold the door. It's just, it's, come, you can go first. It's okay. And then, you, and then you're in line, and they go up, and they're there for 30 minutes. And you're like, if I would have just made that one decision to close that door, I'd be home already. But even that simple analogy is, a, is, is for you to realize how humility works. You have your needs. You have your responsibilities. But can you take time out of your life and say, you know what? It's okay. You go next. 
I, you're important too. Yes, God loves you. But I want to see the type of Christian that starts preaching God loves you when they close that door in that face. See how you feel. How would you feel if you were that person? Just imagine, you're that person, you're coming in, you hurt your leg, so you're limping. You would have ran in the door too, but you're like, I'm hope I'm going to try to get there. And you see that young man at that door, and he's like, man, please let him just hold the door for me. I'm trying my best to get there. And he goes in and he shuts the door and runs in. And then that door is heavy. I don't know why bank doors are always heavy, right? But it's heavy. And you get in there, and then that kid's in line, he's next, and he looks at you, he says, Jesus loves you. How would you feel? How would you feel? But if that kid, out of his time, and you, you can tell he's in a hurry, and he says, and he holds the door, hey, hey, just come on in. You got this. You're next. It's all right. You can go. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to be somewhere, but it's okay. And then he looks at you and says, Jesus loves you. How would you receive that Jesus loves you? You say, man, God, you know what? You're special. You had your kids with you, running around crazy, but you still gave me room. That's humility. Those are the type of people that are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not throwing praise to myself by saying that. I know there's people in here that do the same thing. But that's, how, that's the mentality we need to have. Ready to serve, put our own feelings, our own responsibilities aside to say, come on into. Trust me, that those that are going to be deserving in the kingdom of heaven, there is going to be nobody in that line that's ready to shut the door on anybody else. There's not. There's going to be a bunch of people saying, come on, let's go, let's go, let's hurry. Let's help one another. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm in the beginning of the end, right? Let's go to Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 20. What is the title of the message? Remember the kingdom. Carry this in your hearts. Everywhere you go, the next time you're at that bank door, remember the kingdom. Next time you're rushing, remember the kingdom. The next time you're busy but your brother needs you to attend to his needs, remember the kingdom. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For the, indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Where is it? Within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come where you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven. So also the son of man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the son of man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, Will it be in the day of the Son of Man is revealed? In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, in the field let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will 
lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in the night there will be two men in one bed, and the one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, where, where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is there, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Jesus is revealing them, uh, to them a time of things to come, explaining the kingdom of heaven and when it's coming. He's showing them that it is not something that they will see with their eyes to the point that we can say it's over there and over there. And even us who we long to see Jesus, we got to be weary of the things that they're trying to proclaim and say that he's over here and he's over there just because we want to see him so badly. We're not going to be able to see him. And when we do, it's going to be like a lightning flash. It's going to be here and gone. You're not going to be able to get in your car and go see Jesus. But they're going to preach you that. They're going to teach you that. They're going to say, come here. There are plenty of antichrists right now who have a following. People trying to see Jesus and follow Jesus. Those days are gone where we see him on this earth in that way. The minute that we start reigning with him, everything that we know will be different. It won't be about seeing him because we will be living with him. But if anybody tells you, come over here, man, this is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is over here in this church, over here in this country. No. No. I'm not going to see my Lord and Savior with these eyes. And when I do, I'm going to be completely different. I'm going to be completely different. If I still got a pain in my body, when I see Jesus, I'm not in the right place. If I'm still tired and weary and I see Jesus, I'm not in the right. If I'm yawning, when I see Jesus, I'm not in the right place because I'm not going to feel no pain. I'm not going to have no tears, no worries. And when you see Jesus and you're in that, in that state of mind, you're good. But he warns them and lets them know the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here very present, but it's not going to be to the point where you can see it. They were waiting for Jesus and the Messiah to come and just take over the whole country and the whole world. And there'd be a place that we could just go worship God in the physical. But that's not how Jesus was going to do it. That's not the plan for that time, for that season. And then he throws in the examples of Noah. Where he prepared the ark and they preached that, that the flood was coming, but nobody believed in it. Everybody was just doing their thing. Right. They were drinking. They were married. They were they, the reason they throw in the marriages. Right. Because that's a plan for the future. People get married, planning for the future. People are joyful. Marriages, you know, weddings are happy. And in that same way, it wasn't when everything was sad. He didn't say when everybody was crying and the world was falling apart. Then he then the flood came. No, when everything was good, they were drinking. No worries in the world. They were getting married. No worries. Planning for the future and in that time. That's when the flood came. And nobody saw it coming. They were drinking and they were married. Everything was great. It's not, it's not, it's not the way we think the world's going to end when everything's just fire, brimstones from the sky. When all that starts, stuff starts, starts happening, it's going to be too late for us. It's going to happen in a moment of peace, in a moment when everything's okay and calm. And then he brings up Lot and his wife, the same way judgment was coming to their nation, right? God was ready to bring that brimstone and that fire. And God saved Lot out of that. And then it says, remember Lot's wife. Remember. 
Do you guys remember what happened to Lot's wife? She had the same opportunity that Job and his daughters had. She was revealed to her the same thing. But in that moment that she had the chance to escape, she looked back. Looking back, trying to remember where she was from. Not remembering who she belonged to now. We're on the opposite spectrum. We need to remember where we're from, the kingdom of heaven. So when we're leaving, we have nothing to look back to. Because we're looking forward to where we are going because that's where we belong to. But her heart still belonged to the world, the culture, where she was from, her mom, her dad, her cousins, her best friend's best friend that was still there. And she stopped. And in that moment, her heart was not for God. It was for the world. And she didn't get destroyed with the brimstone. She got stuck, and that's the, the worst place you can be. There are people in church that are stuck because they're constantly looking back. There are statues almost as, can you, ice, hallelujah, can you imagine almost escaping destruction and your statues right there at the foot of the door? You almost got away and you're stuck. The fire didn't get you, but you ain't entering the promised land. Right in the middle. Lukewarm. I think that's worse. You know, it's worse. It's, 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 it's better just it, that I just either get killed by the fire or make it to the other side. But can you imagine my statue being right there at the door and people walking by and say, you know, he almost got away. But he didn't. And there are people in church who come to church every Sunday. They look forward and they look back. And they look forward and they look back. And they look forward and they look back. In 20 years going to church, doing this dance, they're not getting nowhere. And they haven't got anywhere. And their relationship with God hasn't gone anywhere. And their faith hasn't grown because they're doing this little dance. And they're just stuck in one place. The world, God. The world, God. And time passes and you never grew up. You stayed Peter Pan your whole life. There's no time for you to be looking back at what you're leaving behind. If you made the step of faith to accept Jesus Christ in your life and you know that the kingdom of heaven is worth the greatest pearl that you can ever find, the greatest thing, the greatest good you can have in your life, and you give everything for it, give everything for it, and don't look back. Amen. Yes, give God an applause. Satan can't control you and what you do. But he's an expert at made you look. Did you guys know that? That's what, that's what he does. Since the beginning, it says that he showed Eve. He made her look. Look at that fruit. And she looked. And the minute she looked, he was using God's own creation against her. It wasn't something that Satan created. He only made her look. And once he looked, everything else that was there was there. He created it. It's beautiful. It's delicious. He made it. Look at that woman walking by. You look. You, he caught you. Made you look. Look at that $100 bill on the floor that fell out of his pocket. Made you look. It's going to look good. It's a $100 bill. She's beautiful. God made her that way. He's handsome. God made him that way. He can only make you look. 
Just bring it up. But you just got to be blind to it. Just close it. Uh-uh. I ain't looking. I know what I'm going to see. God made it. Devil got me. It's going to be a nice, pretty $100 bill. She's going to be a beautiful lady. He's going to be a handsome man. It's going to be there. God made it. But it's not for me. It's not for me. I got mine in my pocket and I got mine at home. I'll go look at that. And the same thing is right there in those verses. What is Satan going to do? See here. See there. Look here. Look there. Trying to get you to see Jesus. It's not Jesus. That's why we walk what? By faith. And not by sight. Because by sight, it is so easy to fool you. That's why we got to remember the kingdom. Even though we can't see the kingdom. But it is still very real. We got to believe in it like it is here, even though we can't see it. We got to believe in Jesus, even though we can't say, hey, let's go, let's go give him a high five. Let's go over there. God is there. Let's go see him. It's not going to be about something you see. It's going to be about something that you can't see, but you believe and you remember it like it is true, like it is real, like it is now, like it is present. And there will be the day that we all going to be looking at each other and looking around and we're going to see his glory and all his might and all his beauty. Amen. Remember the kingdom. Remember where our independence comes from. Let's stand up to our feet. Hallelujah. This comes from a place of something I go through. That I know I'm not alone in going through. Because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to want to see and hold something tangible. And take our focus off what we know we should be focusing on, his kingdom and where we're from, where we're going. It's so easy to try to build our identity and uh, who I am as where I'm from here on earth and go back to what we know, go back to our slavery mindset, turn back. Instead of going to the promise, we go back to Egypt because we knew that. And the place where we're going is unknown. We can talk about heaven all day, but you can't really visualize it. It's somewhere you haven't been. But if I tell you to explain to me your grandma's house, you're going to say it with so much love and so many good memories because you know that place. But I'm asking you to go to a place that you haven't seen, that you haven't smelt, that you haven't touched, that at your best, you're just guessing what it looks like, what it feels like. It should be like peace. It should be like heaven. There's going to be diamonds and ruby. You don't know that. You don't, you haven't seen that. Grandma's house is familiar. It's easy to go back there. But God is asking you to step into something unknown, believing and trusting him that it's everything. Amen. So these altars are open right now. If there's anybody in the house that God has spoken to your heart in this moment. And you haven't made that step of faith and you say, you know what? This world is wrong. I don't want this world. I know where I came from, but I want this kingdom to be in my heart. Right now, the altars are open. Step forward, and we're going to do the faith the faith walk together. We're going to talk through it if you want to make that confession of faith. If there's somebody here who needs to be reconciled, who says, you know what? I accepted Jesus. I've been baptized, but 
I took my eyes. I didn't take my eyes off him. I put my eyes on things of this world. Because I shouldn't have been looking for Jesus with my eyes. I should have been walking with him in my heart. Right? I see his goodness, but I feel his presence more. So the minute that you took your eyes and put them on the things of this world and you started walking backwards or stuck in place, come forward. Nobody's judging you. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you so you can get out of this place of stillness and go towards the purposes of God. Hallelujah. The altars are open.